Imagine you picked up the most important book in the world, a book with words that can transform hearts. Now imagine it was full of highlights and notes in the margin and you could see how this book has transformed someone's heart. This is the Notable Podcast. These are the discussions of twin pastors who share their underlining and highlighting. This is Season 6, Strengthen Hearts, a podcast on First Thessalonians. Okay, okay. Happy Friday afternoon, everybody. Jonathan, to you as well. It is Memorial Day weekend, and um, a big time happy birthday to you, Jonathan. <laughs> a little well, bit you early. too. <laughs> you too. <laughs> we are getting old, that's for sure. <laughs> I do not feel like a spring chicken anymore. Maybe, maybe you do, but I, I sure don't. Man, I'm excited about today because we are going to get into chosenness and idolatry. You didn't think those two things could go together, Jonathan, but they most certainly do. And um, get us off to a wonderful start um, to Memorial Day weekend out here. And I wanted to just dig in. Um, God's word is the most important thing. God help us if, if we don't understand that. <laughs> Anything that we say um, needs to be based on the word. And so we're going to get into 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, verses 4 to 10 here today. And I just want to start off by reading those. All right, here we go. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. There's the chosenness. Well, I think we're going to go on and on about that. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so... You became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols. There it is, idolatry to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. This is God's word. What a boom. What, a, what an amazing uh, end to his first section of Thanksgiving. And uh, there's a lot in here. And... Timothy, what, what I'd like to do is uh, really focus in on verse 4 for a little while. And what I want to do is, first of all, talk about this idea of chosenness in the Bible. Uh, sometimes uh, the word chosenness uh, comes um, 
packaged using different languages that has different emphases that teach uh, really the same teaching. And so sometimes in the Bible, you have um, this pictured as a metaphor, um, the book of life. Uh, sometimes uh, you have language uh, called election. It's the same idea as, as chosenness. Um, sometimes in the Bible, there's overlap with the word called. And what, what I'm, or even predestination, all of these ideas come up wrapped together in one big, you can think about it, it's like one big word hoard. And uh, we'll just use the idea of, of chosenness here. And I, I just want to say this before we go any far further. Um, in verse four here, it simply says, we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. This is something that we can know, the Apostle Paul says. We can know this. We can have assurance about this. And, you know, before we go any further, we're, we're talking live on Facebook um, right now. And isn't it awesome that in our faith, you can know something? You can actually know something with assurance. There's, we, we're in times of uncertainty, um, darkness, questions. And uh, there are things we can know. And the most important thing is what our relationship with God is. And he says that we have a relationship with God through faith of chosenness. He says that we're loved by God. Now, Paul fleshes out why he knows that. And um, he helps the Thessalonians see that too. And we're going to get into that further. But right now, I think we just need to step back and just appreciate it, what it means to be chosen, what it means to be chosen. You know, I think a lot of us, um, a lot of people spend their whole lives and they don't realize it, but all they want to do is just be chosen. They want to be considered loved. They want to be considered um, as valuable. They don't want to be treated like a piece of garbage. Yeah, in fact, I, I mean, don't get me started. You look, go, come on. Well, it's it starts it, the the need. There's a deep, deep spiritual need that we all have, and it really starts at, at childhood. You know, when you're out in the sandlot. Have you seen that movie? Yeah. <laughs> and um, you know, you get to the end, they're the picking teams. Yeah, you're picking teams, and there's this little uh, scrawny guy, which is me. And nobody wants him because he can't hit the home run or whatever. And you, you understand, like, when you get to that point that, you know, that you're one of the rejects. I always, I always think about um, St. Peter when, when he talks about that you are a chosen people and how affirming that is that and and look um these people who are chosen you and i we should say this and and the thessalonians um you you can say that the the, the people that god cho chooses are the rejects they're the ones that nobody else wants to choose they're the sinners they're the misfits they're they're the ones stuck on the margins they're the ones without any of the power and yet, and yet, God, those are the people 
that God loves. Those are the people that God saves. Those are the people that God um, chooses. I, I, I remember um, when I was in college, I worked at this factory and um, it was an awful job. I really hated it. <laughs> but we made these, these sanding sponges, you know, the kind where you can, it helps you get into the corners. And what I, my job, it was a terrible job. I had to, I, I would wear these gloves to protect my hands because it would, if you, putting these into the packaging all day would really wreck your skin. And that's all I did all day is I'd put the packaging from 3M on there. And I was barely above minimum wage. But we had some of the sun, sanding sponges, we called them rejects because they were misformed, misshaped, and all these different things. And we'd literally, throw them on this big pile and we call them the rejects <laughs> i'm trying to that is not what god has done with us right or with the with with the thessalonians as much as we deserve it he's taken he's taken these these misfits and he's built this beautiful you know mosaic this spiritual building he's chosen you see he's chosen you well, and and that's and, really affirming. That's affirming. Well, especially when you you put it put it in the context. Let's just drop this right into the context of of the Thessalonians' lives here, and then let's drop it in the context of our own lives. Because what's happening here is they're getting thrown out into a garbage heap by a lot of people. Uh, this is a severe trial. This is this that was not hyperbole. What Paul wrote. This was very very difficult for these Christians. And they're having family members and they're having people that they love say that now because you put your faith in Jesus, um, you're a threat to the Roman Empire, you're a threat to my belief systems, you're a threat to my lifestyle, and now you're out and you're shunned and I, you're a piece of trash to me. And, um, you know, I, I think about my own life. I think about the people that I know, but you can relate to this too. The most painful thing that happens in 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 my life and, and in other people's lives is when somebody says, "I don't want you a part of my life anymore. You're not valuable mm -hmm. to me. You um, you don't you don't give me what I need, whatever that might be." And what the Apostle Paul is is coming in with here, he's got this beautiful prayer that we looked at last time, and today he's coming at them with this beautiful truth. You might be unchosen. You might be considered a reject to other people, but you aren't to God. You are yeah. loved by him. And, you know, when I think about that um, in, the, in the way that other people have walked away from me in my life, I am so comforted and, and I can stand firm when I know who stands with me. Because while other people um, don't think I'm valuable, God thinks I'm valuable, and God stands with me. And that's just, you know, I'm just getting happier the more that I think about that. <laughs> just, just, and I hope well, people who are listening in on that are getting happy. This, this, well, it's, it's, think about, I, I kind of think, when I think about these things, like being chosen and, and how affirming that is, like, um, to think of someone who's really, really important in your life. And Sometimes I pick politicians, but I won't do that today because <laughs> it's so nasty. <laughs> but like, 
somebody who who you really think um, you respect and love and um, to say to have them like maybe you put a message up on Facebook that you really care about and you know you see the likes coming in but then all of a sudden this pe- this person who's really like let's say Malcolm Gladwell or something retweets you I don't know pick the person <laughs> you'd be like whoa you know oh, oh my goodness um I've been chosen I I've been affirmed I've been esteemed and then to to multiply that by the infinity of who God is in Christ and and to have him say um I choose you and I know who you are but I choose you to be with me forever whoa <laughs> it just you know? it, it blows your mind because the, Moving on in, in these verses, it, it reminds you of Acts 17, right? Like how God has people in just the right place at just the right time with just the right people so that they might reach out and find him. And so none of this was an accident, what we described in this podcast so far, how God moved Paul um, through their city. They hear the gospel from him. And what ends up happening, and this is what Um, Paul reports, he says, our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power. And that's because that's what the gospel is. It's not just words. (laughs) It is power. And so these people responded to it in, in a way that you don't respond to other kinds of words. You know, I've heard plenty of powerful speeches in my life, just drop dead, powerful speeches. I think our culture, to some extent, is reclaiming that with TED Talks and things like that. Um, there's, a, there's increased orality in our culture, I think, right now. But uh, So you can see powerful speeches. But it's not just words. The gospel is not just words. It comes with power. And what we have to notice here and is, um, I, this is just fun in First Thessalonians and, and a little bit of a scholarly side. But I mentioned before, I think in our last podcast, that First uh, Thessalonians is full of triads. Paul loves triads in First Thessalonians. And you have a triad here. You have power, um, Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. And I, I think what the Apostle Paul is doing there is he's got an Oreo cookie going on. Um, he's got power on one side. Uh, he's got deep conviction on one side. And then the Holy Spirit is the one who's empowering it at all. And the concepts, I, I think, and I think it kind of moves in a chronological line too. You, it, the, the power is, is how uh, the person, the Holy Spirit um, was drawing those Thessalonians to respond to the gospel. And the deep conviction is such that um, they're welcoming the apostles into their midst. Um, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and he talks about that. They're living with them. They're getting to know them. They're accepting the teaching in their midst. But also, um, and we'll talk about this in in, in just a little bit, um, they also ring out, which that it's like a trumpet call. Like they they begin, they ring out the gospel. So these are people who are, they really do come to this deep conviction. Um, in the gospel. 
yeah and right and i think we all we all know like not to be you know a pentecostal but any any believer knows that like um there come these moments when you're listening to a sermon maybe and the pastor's kind of droning on and on um and then all of a sudden he starts saying jesus died for your sins and because of what he's done, um, you've been justified and you have no more guilt and you have no more sin and you're going to live forever. And there's something in you that says, amen, amen. And it's, that's, that's that, and that's what I came here to, to, to hear. Um, and, and if you get nothing else, uh, you came and you got what you needed for that day. And, and what that is, is that's, that's, that's the power. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the deep conviction that, that Paul's talking about. And yeah, it's done in great weakness, right? Like to, it's, there's incredible weakness in us. And yet you can, you can see um, and know the power of the spirit uh, in our lives, in our lives. And the only reason that that's true is is because we've been chosen by God. He's He's chosen to give us His Holy Spirit. He's sanctified us and, and redeemed us by the blood of Jesus. It's Keep on going. <laughs> There's something in me that's saying Amen. <laughs> <laughs> and this can you know, one thing I think this is this is for the church, and I, I always wonder who listens to this. Who, who who listens to our podcast? I don't know. It's a mystery to me. But uh, maybe yeah. no, no. There's a couple of people. <laughs> there's a couple of people we know about. But um, I I think it's there's one application we can make um, for the church. And I, I know there's a lot of Christians that are feeling embattled in this culture. And I I think it's worth pointing out here that. Um, these people, we're going to get into this in verse 9 and 10 too, but these were people who turned um, from idolatry. In other words, they came to this deep conviction um, really spiritually overnight. Such is the power of the Holy Spirit that he brings them to a deep conviction. Um, and one thing we can say, and I, I want to give you a sense for this, you know, how quickly, how quick this really went. We talked about how um, Luke, Luke reports to us um, in Acts chapter 17 um, that they made Jason and the others post bond. There was this, this um, conflict that rose up. And at some point after that, them staying there um, in Thessalonica became untenable for them. They just couldn't do it um, because of the conflict. Um, and Luke reports to us that um, that happened after three Sabbath days. Sabbath days. This seems to have been the initial stage of the work there. They, they, they go into the, into the synagogue there, and they're interacting there mainly with Jews, um, uh, and, then, and then former Jews who became converts to Christianity. Uh, but at some point, they, what seems to have happened is that most of the converts started actually coming uh, from the Gentile world, and so the converts were no longer coming out of the synagogue. They're coming more out of the marketplace. And so it could be that Paul, is, that Paul, Silas, and Timothy are there doing ministry for up to six months. 
And the reason why, so I, I know we, I'm not contradicting Luke here um, because Luke will often do this. He'll often do what's called telescoping um, his work. So he's really interested in just a narrow, this is what happened in Thessalonica. And he's just, um, he's not telling us everything that, that happened in Thessalonica. He's just telling us what fits his theological interests. And so uh, it does seem like there's more that's happening in Thessalonica after that, and after that, that initial three weeks. And the reason, there's some good arguments for this, and you can think about this and decide whether you think they're good arguments or not yourself. But here's some of the arguments. One, the Apostle Paul does say that they learned to imitate him. That probably is going to take more than three weeks. They probably had a model of manual, you know, Paul's doing manual labor. He's showing them. We're going to talk about how Paul talks to them about working with their hands. So they're probably seeing this from the Apostle Paul over an amount of time. Um, secondly, it does take a little bit of time to, um, you know, I'm not using conversion here in a technical sense of somebody, that, that moment when somebody goes from unbelief to faith. I'm using it more in a sense that they're um, being taught all of Christian teaching, but um, their conversion out of pure paganism takes a, at least a little bit of time. They, you do have to teach, um, you know, the teachings of the Christian faith, and it does seem like there, there's an awful lot that these people know. You know, it's not that they, they heard three, three sermons. Um, the Apostle Paul does pick up some things some questions, it seems like at least one or two questions that these people have. Um, but he, they know a lot. <laughs> they know a lot. They know about the justification of Jesus Christ. They have some concept of, of how Jesus is coming back. They, 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 they know a lot. Um, moreover, they, it also seems like they had time to designate leaders which means that the Apostle Paul had time to raise up leaders and then also designate leaders. All of this takes um, a little bit of time, even if you're working very, 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 very quickly. So the, this is my longer way of saying, isn't it amazing, um, dear church, that you can take people out of pure paganism by the power of the gospel. I think that's worth saying in America today um, you know, sociologists, cultural commentators will tell you that neo-paganism is huge in the United States today. Um, the, the rise of, of, of Wiccan, the, the rise of, of different kinds of um, spiritists and things like that. Um, the gospel's powerful in people's lives. It's powerful. It was then and is still today. Yeah, I, I feel like you're getting into our second point already then with how it says in verse 10 there that you turn to God from idols. Like that's a, that's a really short trip, but it's also a really long trip, like you said. <laughs> like to turn, do you want to get into that with me now? Well, we got to make one more point. We got to make one more okay. point. I wondered about that. Chosen. And <laughs> at least I think we do. And that is um, what, how... <laughs> what suffering does to your feeling of chosenness. When you suffer, it can, it really, really can feel like God's throwing you away. 
And what the Apostle Paul is doing here is he is in, in the teeth of suffering. He's saying suffering actually isn't uh, proof that God's throwing you away. Um, he's saying, in fact, the joy that you experience in suffering is proof that God has chosen you. It's the opposite. And it's, a, it's I, the exact opposite. I read this interesting article not too long ago about how the people of God um, have always gotten through trials, suffering, uh, discouragement by, by leaning on this article of faith that we've been chosen, that we've been elected. And, and you can actually kind of trace that through the scriptures. I mean, go, go to the, the very beginning, you know, and, and we're talking about when God called out of nothing um, and incorporated his holy people. Uh, and all the way back, and we're talking to Exodus, and what what got them through um, 400 years of slavery? It what got them to um, get out of there? You know, it was it was their faith that we're the chosen people of God, right? These are the, we're the chosen people, and and you can keep you you can trace that throughout throughout history. This, this, this is a, a, a really big deal, like um, to know that my God has chosen me um, for this and he's going to carry me. He, he's going to redeem me. He's going to save me because I have a special relationship with him. See, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. <laughs> it, it's amazing. And what, what the Apostle Paul is helping us do, what he's helping me do, is live by faith and not by sight. You know, think through what we've said so far. Um, people look at Jonathan Borman, and maybe what they see is a sinner. God doesn't. People look at um, a, a Christian from Thessalonica, and they say they see a reject. God doesn't. People look at suffering and they say, God's abandoned that person. Um, and and uh, when God looks at it, he doesn't see it that way at all. What he sees is uh, the new person of faith rising up in them, believing that God is with them and using that. And these people responded powerfully so that Paul sitting in Corinth, he's remember we talked about that, he's probably way off in another city, um, this wasn't just flattery, you know, the, you, what you, your faith, you know, your joy, the way that you're sharing the gospel and all this. Um, this wasn't flattery. This wasn't like um, him just saying nice things about them with, with no foundation. Apparently, um, people were really talking about the Thessalonians so that even Paul sitting there in Corinth writing this letter can say, I don't even have to talk about it. Y'all know it's true. <laughs> Everybody all over the world, apparently. <laughs> yeah, they're really talking about this. Did you have yeah. you heard about those people in Thessalonica? It's amazing. They're getting their butts kicked by everybody in their city, but they love God and they're trusting Him with their lives and they're sharing the gospel. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful. And all of this, like you said before, all of this happened three weeks, six months, like when I, when I, when I hear you talking about that, like six months are relatively, 
short amount of time to me, but God took them from zero to deep conviction in a relatively short amount of time, <laughs> whether it's three weeks or six months. But that that's a really cool thing. They turn, because I really want to talk about idolatry. Do you? <laughs> All right, go ahead. You've been chomping at the bit. Get into it. Well, yeah, because <laughs> this is the whole thing. This is how far God brought them. But, you know, he, he chose them. And, and then they're in the middle of verse 9. They tell how you turn to God from idols to to serve the living and true God. This is, and and here I want to, we, we really need to pause and just talk about, um, talk about idolatry. This is, a lot of people think, Jonathan, that um, idolatry is just an Old Testament issue. It's not something that people struggle with in the New Testament era. Um, here it is. It, it's, it, it's, it's not talked about a lot throughout the rest of the New Testament. We have the interesting ending to 1 John, um, where uh, John goes out with his warning against uh, idolatry. But here again, um, in Paul, in Paul, we have this is a really important passage about how idols really have uh, power still today, even in New Testament living. And, and of course, there's like you can talk about like the gross idolatry, and and we got that going on in Queens. I I can go down to the uh, the sheiks have their temple right down here, and the Buddhists are right over here, and um, I can go worship an elephant um not too far away there's a lot it's like the gross idolatry where people literally are still bowing down to images and and that's um that's happening still today but i think the more dangerous kind of idolatry for a secular world um is the hidden kind it's the hidden kind yeah the secret kind right secret secret idols and I think Christians get discouraged, you know, how can we, how can we turn people away from money? Right. I mean, money's a pretty good God, <laughs> sort of, <laughs> or a career or, um, worshiping sex. Um, it's, I, or politics, I, politicians too. I, I, um, I asked a professor I respect once what the idolatry was today. And without skipping a beat, this professor said, Baalism. Mm. Uh, what's, what, is, what is religion in America? Sex and money. Same thing. Yeah. It's Two Baalism. inches apart. Two inches apart. <laughs> yeah. It's the same. So people read the Old Testament. They say, oh, my goodness. You know. We don't do that anymore. You know, I've been reading, I've been reading um, Isaiah uh, and he just rails on idolatry and he, he almost, it's, it's very convicting. And he also makes you laugh out loud sometimes because he's so sarcastic and he talks about how people go ahead and they fashion, <laughs> like they'll take a piece of wood and then they'll fashion it and then with one piece of the wood, they'll make an idol. And then with the other piece of the wood, they'll throw it on the fire. <laughs> yeah, I remember that and, 
and people don't people don't realize we do the same thing like what is a dollar bill <laughs> some guy just made that some lady just made that like why do you think it has real power <laughs> to, someday it's all gonna burn is that gonna be worth anything and we don't we don't think that all the way through you know you know there there's a there's a really good book um written by a a really good scholar called gk beale and he he says when 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 we talk about idolatry is you actually become you become what you worship does that make sense you are what you eat and you become what you worship yeah so if you worship something that's dumb you become dumb right if you be if you worship something that's weak you become even weaker if you worship something that's void then you become a void see mm-hmm. so this is this is a this is a really dangerous thing to do the other th- i you know i've i've always wanted to do a lot of teaching on idolatry and this is an opportunity to do this but one of the ways that you can identify idolatry in your life because i think we have to do that is just notice what makes you tired <laughs> like what is it that that really makes you tired what is it that saps you and that's probably your idol it's something yeah it's something that you go back to again and again and again you're thinking about this problem in your life probably whatever's that problem is in your life is your idol yeah it it, it, th- this is an important, I, I think a really, really important diagnostic tool because what an idol does always is it steals from you. It, it makes you tired. It saps you. It, it takes from you and it never gives. It never, ever gives. Um, and, and by the way, the true God is the opposite. The true God makes, makes no demands on us and he simply gives of himself to us. And that's how we can know that Christianity is true because the, the true God, the triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit give to us, they sustain us, they redeem us. God is a true God. And all of these other things, they rob us, they, they make us dumb, they make us weak, and they make us tired. See, you're, what you're saying is, what's the antithesis of what Paul says? He says, they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living God. What's the antithesis of the living God? A deadening God, a tiring right. God. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And one of the gods, we have to just say this, um, and just to kind of put this into this pandemic era that we're living in, you, you could ask yourself this question too. This is a good diagnostic question to help um, discern uh potential idols it would be how are you coping how are you coping so um are you watching buku tv and then and then justifying it like oh it's just you know i'm stuck at home um is that how you deal with your anxiety and fear or uh with your boredom or you you know whatever you're going to be able to see that you're actually relying on something and trusting in something to get you through 
that is not God. And, and by the way, watching, binging um, a series on Netflix is absolutely deadening. I mean, do you feel better after doing it? <laughs> no, no, you know, right? So like we have to, and the Thessalonians knew that. That's, that's why they turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. So like, you know, to discern idols from idolatry, one way is, does this God live? Does this God give life? And um, again, we're back to like one, one commentator actually said, um, the Christian God, if you wanted to put it in a phrase, is the God who raises Jesus from the dead. That's like another way of giving him his, his title. So this is a living, um, breathing, uh, resurrecting God, right? I don't know. I've been hogging the airwaves here. He, he's the true God. <laughs> yeah. And, and he makes promises that he can keep. Yeah. So if you if you look at the antithesis of this, of course, is, and this is something we all have to understand. And I'm, I'm not sure we do understand this well. I think idolatry is a, a massive problem, massive, massive problem. Um, unidentified um, idolatry is, is, a, is a massive problem, um, probably in all of our lives, because the nature of our idolatry is that you can't see it. You know, not, there's not that many people who are on some corner bowing down to a totem. Um, but they are bowing down. Everybody's serving something. Um, they, they, they probably don't know what it is, but they are serving something with their minds and with their hearts. And they serve it because that thing, and it's like you said, they serve it because that thing is promising them something. So like, for example, if you're addicted to um, whatever drug it is, why, why do you go to it? Because it promises you something. What does it promise you? Release. It, it helps you f feel better for a second, you know? And, and let's be honest, Timothy, um, the gods deliver for a second. That's why they're so attractive to us. They make a promise, they seem to keep it, and then for two seconds later, it's over, and then you realize that was death. And you go back to it again and again and again and again until it kills you. And that's, that's what depressing. I do. <laughs> it is. It is. But, but until the, God, the spirit, you know, until the gospel resurrects comes. Yeah. Yeah. And he yeah. frees you. But part of what happens, see, Timothy, part of what happens when you're dealing, and we just have to talk about verse 10 now, this idea of waiting. See, the deal with a true and living God is that you don't have him on a leash, not like you do idols. See, when you go to an idol, you can take your hit, you can do your sin, you can do whatever. And it, and, and it might be there for you for a second, and then it's over. And we talked about what that does to you. But when you're dealing with God, he's not a marionette. Jesus is not, he's, he happens to be a true God, which, <laughs> which means that he's got his own plans, and he's got his own timing, and he's got his own will, and he's got his own thoughts. And he's bigger than us, and he's smarter than us, and he's more loving than us. 
In other words, what I'm saying is he's living in true, <laughs> which means that you got to wait for him. He's the real deal. <laughs> he's, the re he's the real deal. And the reason why you know that you can wait for him and you know that while you wait, he's always doing what's best for you is you look and you see that he sent his son from you for you from heaven. That's what Paul says. And that this is, this is a God who sent his son, Jesus, to raise him from the dead so that when Jesus comes back the second time, and that's what Paul's referring to here. He doesn't, he doesn't you know, extrapolate this out of the way. He doesn't get into all of his, we call this eschatology yet. What happens when Jesus, the end of the age? We're going to get there, by the way, <laughs> mm -hmm. in this podcast. I can't wait to get to it, too. I can't wait. Here he just mentions it. This is he's bringing up his, one of his big themes in this book. He says Jesus is going to come back. This is what we're waiting for, y'all. I know your lives are hurting. I know things are difficult, um, Christians in Thessalonica and those of you who are listening to us. But Jesus is coming, and when he does, what's he going to do? He's going to rescue you. He's going to rescue you from the coming wrath. God's not okay what's happening with what's happening in this world either. He's not okay with it. I'm not okay with it. You're not okay with it. Nobody's okay with it. There's, a, there's, there's so much darkness and sin here. God's going to bring justice to it. He's going to bring wrath to it, but not to his own. Because we are covered in the blood of Jesus. And so we're waiting. We're hopeful. <laughs> Along the way, we get to be a part of this massive mission. <laughs> we, we get, what does it say here? The Lord's message can ring out from us. <laughs> and you know, it is, it is too, Jonathan. It is like, even now, I, um, there's so many opportunities that Christians are sharing with me. My friend, this, my, my mom, that, my dad, this, like it's happening. People are coming to know the truth. They're, they've, they're seeing the vanity, the uselessness of the chasing after money or sex or whatever. And, what did it really get me? Um, that's what happens when you have to sit at home for a while. <laughs> <laughs> you say there's got to be more, and there is. You know, there is. That's the whole thing. What a magnificent thing! So much power in that message. Just think about that. That you, when you find out who the true God, and you pull back the veil through the gospel, it's not a monster hiding there. It's the most beautiful, holy loving sight you'll ever catch in your life. It's the God who sent Jesus to raise him from the dead. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. More next week. You know, yeah. more next week. We got oh, some really heartfelt stuff is coming. And um, more next week. Leave us some comments. Leave us some comments. Let us know how we're doing if you like these live podcasts. Thanks, everyone. If you are moved and you want to support this ministry, please go to www.thenotable.com.